0: In order to ensure proliferation of the word virus, you can support our efforts via patreon.com thewordvirus the word virus. Lure others to infection by sharing the word virus via social media on Twitter at the word virus and Instagram at spread the word virus and at the The following podcast contains strong language and adult themes and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Behold, the Annals of pestilence. The stories you're about to hear are not real, though they contain elements of the truth. The tales herein might entertain you, cause you to smile, or perhaps cry, or something else entirely. Because this anthology of narratives, some of them connected, others less so, acts as a door to another realm. You are about to board an interdimensional cruise ship en route to comedy, tragedy, and unspeakable cosmic horror. This one-way journey is powered by existential dread and nervous laughter. Once bored, there is no turning back. The stories you are about to hear are an infection, a narrative contagion, the word virus.
0: Punk Rock vs. the Lizard People Punk Rock vs. the Lizard People is currently available in its unabridged entirety as a novel by Joshua S. Porter. Order the book today on Amazon.com This story references songs available on playlists through Apple Music and Spotify by searching Punk Rock vs. the Lizard People.
2: The Historian 2 the Fermi Paradox. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, that Dale Russell's theory about an Earth-like planet, much older, but with a similar evolutionary trajectory, somehow checked out. Well, the odds would seem to be in his favor. Look at it this way. If current thinking is on target, then there are 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe, each with up to 1,000 billion stars. Within those unfathomable figures, there are probably trillions of habitable planets in the universe, meaning the odds in favor of life developing and evolving are pretty damn skippy. Amongst these trillions of planets, chances are one or two of them might be quite like our Earth. We call this an Earth analog. This line of thinking led Italian physicist Enrico Fermi to a valid question while enjoying lunch with some colleagues in 1950. As Fermi and company pondered the vastness of the universe and the supposed mathematical likelihood of life developing elsewhere, Fermi posed the question, where is everybody? After all, these eggheads suspect that if interstellar travel is possible, colonizing the universe might take some 50 million years. Since Earth has already celebrated more than 4 billion birthdays, shouldn't someone be here by now? There's been plenty of time. Let's break things down even further. The Milky Way galaxy, home to Mother Earth, is somehow storing some 400 billion stars. Amongst said stars are roughly 20 billion sun-like stars. And scientists estimate that maybe one-fifth of those 20 billion are enjoying the company of an Earth-sized planet within its habitable zone. So, get this... If just 0.1 of those planets managed to conjure up life, this means that there would be a million planets full of living things within our galaxy alone. A million. But our solar system seems to have only one. And it gets weirder. The Milky Way is about 13 billion years old. During the Milky Way's cosmic infancy, it probably took one or two billion years to develop some habitable planets. At this point, let me remind you that the Earth is a little over 4 billion years old, meaning there must have been trillions of opportunities for single cells to do their thing on other planets long before ours. So, let us imagine that just one of those potentially life-sustaining planets has enjoyed its many eons without bringing about its swift end. It logically follows that a race of living beings, billions of years our evolutionary and technological senior, is happily spinning along somewhere within our galaxy. To even fathom such a civilization, Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev proposed a three-fold scale based on the amount of energy these alleged super-beings might be capable of harnessing toward communication. A Type One civilization should, in theory, be capable of harnessing all of its planet's energy sources. To put things bluntly, humanity itself is not even a type one civilization. A type two civilization moves us further toward the world of science fiction as such a people would be capable of harnessing the full energy of its sun. By the time you hit type three, you have a civilization controlling its entire galaxy and all the energy in it. So, there are millions of potentially life-sustaining planets, many of which had billions of years to get the jump on us, and yet, here we sit, alone. Or, so Fermi thought back in 1950. There are two concepts worth mentioning for those of us with ears to hear, now in 1987. The first concept has to do with previously suggested solutions to Fermi's paradox. One theory was pretty simple. It's really, really hard for life to get going on even the most hospitable planet. So hard, in fact, that it wasn't until recently that life managed to flourish at all. If this were the case, we'd be the happy, special little creatures we all imagine ourselves to be, unique in all the world and perhaps the first civilization to ever develop in the universe. Others suspected a less shiny solution. These downer scientists wondered if perhaps older, life teeming planets had indeed been all around us, but an inevitable planetary doom awaited them all, a doom just on the horizon for our young Earth. What type of doom? It could be the obvious option of nuclear holocaust or global extinction, or perhaps the apex of technological achievement for every developed civilization concludes in the destruction of the planet that houses them. Or, if there are indeed Type II and even Type III civilizations at large in the universe, then perhaps they watch from afar, and then go about eliminating problematic developments when they deem it necessary to do so, conveniently narrowing the life total of the universe. Any of these solutions would have answered Fermi's 1950 conversational lunch question, Where is Everybody?, Of course, paradoxical though it may have been, Fermi died four years after posing the question with all signs pointing to life on Earth surrounded by an endless ocean of dead universe. Nobody, anywhere, ever, and that's it. It took another two decades for Fermi's paradox to reach any confirmable solution in the arrival of the EMI, and even now, questions linger. This is why, I believe we must merge the thinking of physicist Enrico Fermi and paleontologist Dale Russell to make sense of the road ahead. Now in 1987, we understand that at least one other advanced civilization, this one capable of interstellar travel, does exist elsewhere in the universe. Dale Russell suggested that if an Earth analog did exist among the trillions of potentially life-sustaining planets in our galaxy... And if one of them gave way to evolutionary conditions not completely unlike our Earth some hundreds of millions of years ago, then a species not unlike our prehistoric dinosaurs could and would become the dominant species on Earth Analog. Now, if Earth Analog avoided the asteroid anomaly that ended the Mesozoic Era on our Earth, these dinosaur-like creatures would continue to evolve— unencumbered by the notable handicap of being dead. With a head start like this, a civilization of sapient dinosaurs billions of years beyond our technological capacity would be out in space harnessing the power of their sun while we were still working out how to go from one cell to two. But I submit that Fermi's quandary errs in its presupposition that an advanced civilization's superior knowledge would inevitably compel it to colonize the galaxy, to come looking for us, or to answer our calls. Does it not stand to reason that such a sophisticated class of beings may have somehow surpassed humanity's certain tendency to look before it leaps? Think about it. The hubris of man dictates that if we can, we should Science can, in this way, contribute to the creation of an atomic bomb. But why the hell would anyone create an atomic bomb? Mankind is typically already flying said bomb over Japan by the time anyone thinks to posit the question. Wait, should we do this? With billions of years of trial and error under their belts, a higher class of intelligence needn't rush out on a galactic bridge as they build it. Indeed, such beings might be deliberate about when and if they interact with other civilizations they know to exist and have known of a great long while. Fermi, a man of science, could not see this. And yet, here they are, the Emi, which leads us to an essential realization, followed immediately by an equally important question. Given that we know the Emi have been capable of interstellar travel for eons, and that they have known of Earth and its measly inhabitants longer than we have, why did they ignore us for so long? Or, put another way, why are they here now?
0: ensure proliferation of the word virus. You can support our efforts via patreon.com slash the word virus.